1: First left for Pompey, they're in dreamland early here at Bratton.
0: There's a through ball to Jamalo, on onside, the flag stayed down, Jamallo! nonchalant, fantastic, brilliant, Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it, Pompey are champions, they won league two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4
1: podcast with Hugh Bunce, proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to PO Forecast episode 213. Well, it's 10 points out of 12 as Pompey put in a great performance against Northampton. Join the podcast today is Andy Mitchell. How are you, Andy?
2: Hello, Bunce. Yeah, all good. Thank you. Yeah, uh, surviving the week. I had sort of a, a week where I'm trying to figure out, you know, value for money, how like things have been going value for money wise in my life and in Portsmouth's life. So the two examples. Um, I was thinking about just a minute ago, first of which Pompey related. Tom McIntyre, obviously the news has come out today on time of recording that he's uh, unfortunately broken his ankle while apparently committing a red card event that has now been rescinded. For the money we spent for him, I've worked out that we have paid £1,389 per minute uh, of enjoying watching him at the moment, which unfortunately doesn't represent great value for money. But uh, we go again, and then yesterday evening... Decided to do my bit for the pod. As you know, I do a bit of watching other League One teams just to give across the facade that I occasionally have a clue what I'm on about. I mean, it's absolute rubbish, but it helps me, you know, fake it slightly better. Decided to watch Bolton-Cambridge. Forked out a a tenner for Bolton Wanderers TV. Nine minutes of football, which I make £1.11 per minute of football before the game was called off for bad weather. Uh, I've emailed Bolton Wanderers TV asking how I go about getting a refund, and they've ghosted me so far. So I think they might just be keeping my money. So yeah, value for money wise, I'm not like my circle of you know what I what is important to me in life, aka Pompey and my wallet. It's not not going brilliantly, but thankfully the results on the pitch have been slightly better. How are you doing? How's your week been? Yeah, it's not been too bad to be honest. I've had a fairly fairly average week. I've not actually had a
1: situation where. I spent too much money on something I suppose I regret. No. Do you know what, Freddie? I won't tell people about your great value-only fans. I'll just call you in. How are you, Fred?
0: I'm not I'm not bad here. Yeah, well, my week was interesting. After Pompey's excellent performance on Saturday, filmed on a P-2000 Royal Navy ship, also went and had a look around the John Jenkins Stadium, see how that's doing. That's still in the works, obviously. That project's still ongoing. So, looks like I'll be keeping... Pompey fans tabs on that over the next how however many months or so, and it's nice. I've actually been able to do things rather than be chained to a desk.
2: For the record, if anyone wants to find Freddie's OnlyFans page, it's called Rompy Pompey. If uh, anyone wants to get involved to uh, reenact goals from our, our famous history without wearing any clothes, it's uh it's making a bit of making a bit of a bang, isn't it, Freddie? That David Norris last minute one. I mean, there's
0: stuff lying everywhere. <laughs> oh, that—that's oh, that, obviously the most popular one, but by a by, by country mile. Not, not even a question.
2: I just enjoy you doing the Lamani Luau Luar celebration, honestly, without any clothes on. It's um,
0: yeah. I'm no, I've, I've been, practicing, I been practicing the gymnastics, so it's been all, all been going very well. The, the Andres D'Alessandro goal as well. Oh, always.
1: That's it. The explicit ball boy content over there, which is free. So well. subscribe on
2: Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: get one
2: clip free a week.
1: All right, let's 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 dive into the games and what's going on today.
2: First of all,
1: we're going to review the game against Northampton. Following on from that, we're going to do some analysis and go into the injury situation, how the team's going to sort of have to adjust, what we think the impact is of those injuries. And finally, we're going to preview the game, although Lee did it last week, away at Carlisle. Right, Freddie, it was... It was a nice day out, wasn't it? Let's put it that way. First, we went to the brewery, we all met up, etc. Now, I tasked you with a very important mission, because we all know what happens when I have too many beers. I can barely remember your names, let's be honest, on the podcast, we've been doing this for, what, 212 episodes? So I said to you, put in your phone the name of the two listeners that we hung out with at the start of the game and at halftime, in order to make sure that I didn't forget either of them. So while Freddie scrolls through his phone because he's also forget forgotten, Andy, do you remember who they
0: were? I haven't forgotten. I've got it here. There uh, we go. James sure. and Jack, nice to see you. It's before the game and at half time. Pleasure. Um, I believe one of them met me at Doncaster away ages ago, which was a nice thing.
1: So we went to the brewery. It was it was a nice day out, etc. As always, we got prepared. I remember Andy saying a, a couple of weeks ago after we we lost the game, saying that the brewery could be the best part of the of the day. And unfortunately for Pompey, it wasn't this week. The actual game was pretty pretty amazing, to be honest. Let's start with the first goal then, Marlon Pat, who really did well at dead ball um, pieces all over the game today. So he puts a free kick in from the right-hand side. He does that special thing where he puts it in between the defender and the keeper. Perfectly done for Conor Ogilvie to put the ball on his bald old head and knock it into the back of the goal. And it's 1-0.
0: Yeah, lovely finish from Conor Ogilvie. And it was nice to see him back in the side at left back. We've seen him in stints. And it was also good to see him have a full 90 minutes after his injury. He solidified that back four very well and has always been a threat from set pieces so the fact he was able to get ahead of his defender and get his hold on it was brilliant pack with a lovely pass lovely pass it was probably, it was one of his better games getting two assists i believe and yeah he was hitting long range passes all over the place and uh, yeah that continued with the uh, the second goal as well
1: I actually injured myself celebrating this goal as well. The not so safe standing rails. I mean, I've always stood up anyway, where we sit in the back of the frat and end. But Ryan next to me basically grabbed me to celebrate, and I was going a bit wild because I also won a goal on, won a bet. Sorry, on Conor Ogilvie to score. So I was going mad, and he grabs me and pure celebration in an ecstasy. And as he grabs me, he just scrapes my back along the back of the rails there. So I had a huge graze on the back of my back. So
0: you win why so do you we always get them. injured at games? I swear. It was my knee at Port Vale, and and, and then you're back at this game. At the rate we're going, what if this is going to break something.
1: Yeah, exactly. Andy?
2: (laughs) I mean, if you're claiming it's my turn to break a bone, I'm absolutely not having it. Um, How many things have I broken since we started doing this podcast? I'm like two limbs down. I'm currently waiting to find out if I've got to have a second sol- uh, shoulder surgery <laughs> because the first one might not have worked. So I am not not having it that it's my go to get injured at football because I've I've done my lifetime's worth and then some in the last five years.
1: Yeah, I can see it coming though. Pompey's injury history, Andy Mitchmore ready to pick up another one. You know, the injury pro member of the podcast over there.
2: I look forward to the official Portsmouth tweet announcing me being out until the end of the season
1: no you don't get that luxury we just sit down and talk into a microphone so unless you can't speak you will be doing the podcast and you don't get to see out the rest of the season
2: I mean to be fair I think there's a good argument that I couldn't really speak after the last surgery I don't know if you remember the first one I did back I listened back to it a couple of weeks ago and with hindsight I have no memory of that podcast I was listening back like it was a brand new pod to me I don't remember recording it I don't remember what I said and looking at myself, I can see I'm so spaced out. I was on to Pentadol and Oxycodone at the time and did not have a clue what was going on. I was not fit for the pod, but interesting, I was also doing my job at that point, which is quite concerning considering I stood in front of about 80 people at a time. Yeah, no memory of that. So... uh
0: Andy being the educational version of Bert Troutman, who that famous player obviously played uh, with a broken neck and goal. So, Weren't
2: we talking about him on Saturday?
0: Yeah, we were actually, surprisingly. Yeah.
1: This is great. I should, I should probably get us back on track. And let's talk about the second goal in this game then, basically, because Pack again. Pack still very deep, has a lot to do. He then plays the ball long to Paddy Lane on the break, effectively. Hally Lane does what he does on the right-hand side because he has that ability on that side, not just to get to the byline, but to come inside and shoot. He cuts inside. He used the defender almost as a shield for the keeper and just whips the ball round him into the bottom corner
2: and it's 2-0. Yeah, I think credit has to go to Colby Bishop here as well as he's the one that sort of picked up the ball facing away from goal and laid it off to Marlon Pack. And it was really similar to... Which goal was it? Was it one of the ones against Oxford maybe where he did the same thing but with a, a cushion header and then we played the ball forward and scored? It might have been against Oxford I think. It was in the last few games and we uh, the Port Vale game was a penalty. And I think it's a bit of a response to some of the comments you see again on social media as we say every week where people are saying that Bishop's just a penalty merchant and then blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, this, this rubbish that we don't really dignify with a response. But I think it's a really good illustration in the last few games with with bishop twice picking up the ball facing away from goal holding on to possession showing strength laying it off to the relevant player who then plays a through ball and in this case as you say yeah lane picks up the ball drives at the defense and hits it far corner i was listening to uh, the it's all cobblers to me pod i was listening to their review of the game as well so including danny who came on our show last week to preview the game and they were saying that they were so impressed by Paddy Lane over the course of the full 90 minutes. He was the one name that they kept coming back to saying he looked sort of a class apart for a League One, like one of the best players going round in League One at the moment, almost, they were implying. So he's impressed the away fans. And the impression that I got from from their pod was, you know, they, they'd they been talking about their target being coming out, sort of silencing the Pompey crowd a little bit early. And getting on top and, you know, putting a bit of pressure on as teams like Leighton Orient did, as teams like Blackpool did, fairly early doors. And Northampton just came out and did the ap- absolute opposite. I mean, we had a disallowed goal before our first goal that I think was quite a long way offside from from what I've heard. Um, I've not actually seen the offside goal back and the Fratton end isn't the best place to make offside decisions for the Milton end. So it sounds like they, well, they basically said that they came out and they thought they'd basically lost the game before they'd even conceded, because they started so slowly and let the crowd get into the game and create a good atmosphere. So yeah, the lane finish was lovely. You have to say at that point, two nils pretty deserved. Could have been way more before half time, couldn't it? Realistically, could have been five at half time.
1: Yeah, and we spoke about Conor Ogilvy scoring a goal, and he has one cleared off the line effectively, doesn't it? When it the ball comes in, and eventually Ogilvy gets the last touch, tries to sort of stab it through, and it gets cleared off the line there. That could have been another goal as well in this game. And then we could have also had another goal before halftime. MPH goes around the defender. There's a bit of contact. He goes down, feels it. It's given as a penalty. I mean, I think that's soft. We talked about soft penalties. That one looks very, very soft, but we'll take that. And again, it just shows our attacking players who've just come in, creating opportunities for the team, I suppose, from a positive basis, but probably not a penalty. And then Colby Bishop. One of the big talking points of this game, I suppose. He steps up after scoring the one away at Port Vale. And he does the same penalty he did when he missed it the other week, effectively, doesn't he? Where he steps up, he hits it down to the right-hand side, to the keeper's left. The keeper gets down quite easily, I suppose. He guesses the right way. He opens his body up a little bit too much. It's saved. Luckily, in this game, it doesn't really matter that much, I suppose, apart from a confidence. And then B, well, you want to score those penalties, don't you? And he wants them for his goal tally. But Freddie Webb, do you want to talk us through your thoughts on the penalty by Kobe
0: Bishop? Yeah, it wasn't brilliant, was it? It's had the hallmarks of a bad penalty around it. Not in the corner, not hit with power. Side-footed penalties are very difficult, especially if you're hitting it to the corner to his right rather than across him. So yeah, it wasn't brilliant. Thankfully, Pompey didn't need it in the end, thanks to the good play in the second half. But it was quite disappointing for Cole Bishop not to bury it. He had a good game otherwise with his build-up play, and we mentioned his involvement in the second goal. But it was a bit of a shame that he wasn't on the score sheet. And yeah, I don't know how, uh, after watching it back, I don't know how the Pert-Harris penalty was given. Again, I think it's incredibly soft, even softer than the Kamara pen against Port Vale, I thought. Yeah, referee Sam Perkis didn't have a brilliant game, I don't think. And uh, we'll talk about why later on but no shame about the penalty but otherwise I thought Bishop had a reasonable game in this one.
1: Bishop wasn't that involved in this game I thought he he did get involved in some big moments I thought he faded off a little bit really in the second half I think it's actually quite good though that showing that Pompey a little bit more dynamic going forward have other options as well other players getting on the ball so it's not just that we have to play everything through Colby Bishop in this game and let's be honest you can't rely on one player to score all your goals all the time so it's big that other players stepped up, Andy, isn't it? Really, when Bishop misses the penalty, but who cares? We've gone to win four-one.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm I'm sort of between the two of you. I don't think he had a, a sort of a poorer game as that lack of touches would suggest. But um, yeah, it wasn't his most impactful game, but he has input in some of the way well, in at least one of the goals. And I wouldn't say he had a poor game to be honest with you. And in terms of the penalty, I mean. I've seen some people sort of saying, you know, should be giving penalties to someone else. We absolutely shouldn't. His career penalty record is excellent. Yeah, he's missed, what, two of the last three, both in front of the Milton end, just both just before half time. But at the end of the day, he is a... Com- well, I mean, all strikers really are confidence players, aren't they? That's not in-depth analysis. But top scorer of the season, do you really want to be taking penalties off them and saying, no, I still need you to lead our line, but we're taking away penalties from you when you've been our designated penalty taker since you joined the club. If you do that, then that's not, you know, you're taking away from the confidence of your top scorer, which I don't think has any positive results. And, you know, his career penalty record, his career goal scoring record speaks for itself. You know, it's, you trust the process, you play the long game, these things, you know, regression to the mean and all that, or in this case, progression to the mean, you trust the process. And in the long in the long term, he's going to be scoring a hell of a lot more penalties than he misses. It just so happens that two of the last three have, unfortunately, been misses. And yeah, this one, thankfully, didn't cost us. But it's not as if, you know, his career penalty strike rate is 50% and he's missed two of the last three, therefore we look elsewhere. It's not. It's like, what was it we said the other week? It was uh, 87% or something his career penalty rate. So, yeah, I think uh, a bit of a, there's a bit of reactionary stuff going on, which a certain extent is understandable especially if it's you know fans that go to home games didn't see the penalty in between at Port Vale which he put the other way and, and scored so recency bias is also a thing so if the last two games you've been at Colby Bishop has missed a penalty then it's certainly at the forefront of your mind quite understandably but I don't really see any benefit long term of taking that responsibility away from him as a, in in the Pompey side and I don't see a universe where. If he's on the pitch, he doesn't take the next penalty. We have, I there's zero percent chance in my mind that Messina makes that call. Quite rightly for me.
0: Who else would take penalties anyway? If it wasn't Bishop, Yengi, and he obviously scored in that League Cup game, I believe, or, right at the beginning of the season. Hey, Pack hey, could probably, yeah, I'd say I think so. Pack
1: could be the person you'd expect to take the ball if potentially, if, say, Bishop went off. Let's do this. Then maybe Lang. I don't know. I don't know if he's taking penalties for Wigan. This is just me throwing names out there at this point. There's absolutely no evidence to back that up, but I think the only way it changes effectively is if someone takes a penalty when Bishop's off, he's rotated off, they score it emphatically and then try and make a claim from there. I think that's probably the only way it happens. I don't see it happening any other way with Colby Bishop on the pitch. I just I just don't see it happening a different way.
2: Yeah, uh, Yangi has taken two penalties for us and scored both. So one was against Leighton Orient, one was against Forest Green, one in League One, one in the EFL Cup. So yeah, has scored two, missed none. And that's, by the looks of it, according to Transfer Market, all the penalties he's taken in his career. So yeah, two out of two. 100% record. Go on, Yangi.
1: Welcome (laughs) back. Our new penalty striker. Five more penalties, please, in the next 15 games. But let's get on to the second half now. Let's talk about the red card. Ogilvy gets a little bit lost, doesn't he, on the left. He's looking for a bit of support. He's sort of running, sort of twisting, turning, trying to get, I suppose, the ball in a sort of a pathway to get it back to retain and recycle possession. Unfortunately, he's a little bit off balance and the way he hits it is just a little bit of a hospital pass. To McIntyre, he's played it short. McIntyre comes in, he wins the ball. You've got to think that Pinnock's trailing leg is the one that catches him, to be honest, from watching it back. It looks like a foul, really, to be given our way. That's what, I thought at the time and unfortunately he gets sent off. It's a red card and that goes on to unfortunately, as we'll talk about in the next part, rule him out for the rest of the season. Do we have anything to say about that apart from the fact that it's, it's a strong challenge. It's a fair challenge. He gets the ball. I've got no problems with that. And for me, Pinnock sort of leaves a leg in because he's trying to get the foul on the break.
2: Yeah. I don't see a planet that it's a red card. I I honestly don't think it's a yellow, to be honest with you. The referee didn't give it immediately. Play continued. The ref didn't give a free kick even to start with. Lino's made that decision. And you could see, the referee goes over to talk to the linesman and you could see from the Pompey players' reactions who were talking to the referee that they were like, you could tell what was coming. Before the red card came out, I think it was Marlon Pack was, you could see him like gesticulating at the ref, obviously, Had been told what the decision was, and I think it was MPH going over to the linesman as well, arguing the case. Possibly, it's just not a red. And again, I've been surprised to listen to the Northampton pod, and they were saying that they they said this isn't why we lost the game, etc., etc., etc. There were loads of other reasons it didn't cost us the game, but they thought it was because they thought McIntyre got the ball and then followed through, sort of halfway up the Northampton player's leg. And I just don't. I've not seen anything to suggest that's the case. Live didn't think that. I've watched it back. I don't know five, six, seven times. Still don't see that. And to be honest, if the the league have rescinded it, which they have quite rightly, it's not nice to actually see them take ownership of that. They normally only do that for completely horror decisions like a dive. So quite you know pity about the broken ankle thing, but good on them for actually you know having the the gall to to overturn their decision on that. But it's. Yeah, if that ends up costing you a game, you're furious, aren't you? If we draw this game to all, I mean, there'd be steam coming out of my ears. I'd have had to do an emergency pod on the Sunday just to get the anger out or I'd have carried it into my working week. So, ridiculous decision. It's one of those, you always can't believe it when you see the colour of the card. I, I don't know what the ref or what, what the linesman specifically there is, thinks he's seen. And the referee is taking his linesman's word for it. I agree that the ref had a bad game. But here, I think he's just taken instruction from the linesman who is saying he's got a better view. And if the linesman's saying, that is a red card, I have a better view than you, that is a red. I mean, the referee kind of, without video stuff, which I wouldn't want in our games anyway, referee kind of has to trust the linesman's decision. But unfortunately the for the referee, linesman has had a shocker and ref is now taking pelters for listening to him. But yeah, awful decision. And... As you say, unfortunately, there's a lot more to come from it. I, today, when uh, you could see when Pompey just retweeted the decision, they didn't write a post about it themselves. I think that sort of was the first sign that was suggesting to me that we were about to get some more or less good news. Because normally you'd get a "We're delighted to announce that the blah 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 have rescinded Tom McIntyre's red card. Welcome back, Tom." And instead, they just retweeted the statement. Cue about forty five minutes of happiness before we find out uh, the extent of the injury. Yeah. Luckily,
1: Pompey really rebounded in this game well. They could have just carried on playing, in, being sort of like hard done by and heads could have dropped. But instead, Hallam gives away a free kick just outside the left-hand side of the box and then decides to turn that into a goal. So he reads the play really well. Don't know what Northampton are doing. They sort of really tried to do that little thing where they set it up and play it across the goal to get a better angle to shoot is what I presume from that. Callum Lang steps in. It's five touches until it becomes a goal. He takes three touches, one to to nick the ball, one to skip it past the defender. And then from there, he squares it to Lane. Lane still has a little bit to do here, doesn't he? Because it's a bit behind him. He takes a really nice touch just to push the ball forward. And then from there, he uses his left foot, he smashes it towards goal and it's 3-0. I've never felt so relieved when the ball hit the back of the net after a red card decision. I mean, I'm sure I have, but in recent memory... That was a massive relief, wasn't it? And the, the whole atmosphere around the ground, around Fratton Park, it went up a whole nother level, didn't
0: it? Yeah, I thought from that moment that that goal by Lane pretty much killed off the fixture. Because even, even even that 2-0 up, fairly comfortable, the red cards, you just thought, oh God, what's going to happen here? Adolph Adolf going to have a bit more control in the midfield? Are they going to be able to create chances in the gaps and so on? But it was an excellent finish. Lang did incredibly well, winning the ball in the first place. Nice pass to Lane. And a very underrated finish from outside the area there, and the one touch to be able to bring it away from the defender that was next to him. And he finished infactically, and he does look like a proper player, doesn't he? A very effective inside forward on that side. And since he was moved to the left, I thought he's done incredibly well. So, yeah, thumbs up, a free nil and killed the game off completely.
1: Was he not shifted to the right in this game, Fred? Yeah, he was playing on the oh, right. they
0: were, weren't they? They were swapping wings a bit, actually, at mm. times. But I, can't, he, I don't he, know how he, often they were doing that. He was on the right. He was on the right.
1: He on the left, lying through the middle, effectively, I think, for this game anyway. But yeah.
2: He swapped, he swapped with Kamara a few times in the games where Kamara started as well. There's been times in the games where they seem to have swapped wings and swapped back again, so it's fairly regular. But yeah, this game, he was more consistently on the right. This goal got ruined for me a little bit in the last couple of days. It's not really a a direct parallel, but I think it was Jordan Cross tweeted that it reminded him of uh, Pittman and Viv Solomon-Otobor. And it's not the postage exactly the same, but they're sort of the pattern of the ball across. And it's kind of ruined it for me, if I'm honest. When I read that tweet, I was like, yeah, yeah, you get back to the what-ifs. But uh, it's a lovely finish from Lane and composure from Lang. I mean, the free kick from Northampton is a mess, isn't it? It's an absolute mess. You would be fuming if your kid's team did that at school. It's just absolute just Sunday park football. But you've still got to be good enough to take advantage of it. And no matter how bad the free kick routine, to get from your, the edge of your own box to burying it into their goal and you say it was five touches, Hugh, is testament to absolutely ruthless execution. Lane's first touch recently when he's sort of running through a ball on the break and he gets that powerful ball forward, we saw it for the second goal today and the third goal. And we've seen it in recent weeks as well. His first touch to not lose momentum is so good. It's so good. It's one of the outstanding aspects of his game in that he's not taking a touch and then having to take the man on. His first touch is taking the man and he's up against out of the game. And it's, it's really good to see. And as you see, the finish is... It's ruthless. Keeper's kind of between a rock and a hard place, half come out, half on his line. Doesn't expect Lane to shoot that early. And as you say, it's just that relief. When you've gone down to 10 men, you're thinking, oh, this could go one of two ways. Having fewer players on the pitch does change the dynamic of the game and it can go either way. Sometimes going down to 10 men or sometimes, sorry, having more players can be almost confusing the system. If you're up against 10, it can make you a bit more confident and leave more space. Was it Coventry we played a few years ago where we were... 3 0 up and four, no 2 0 up and 3 1 up, and we managed to lose 4 3, even though they were down to nine players, I think. So sometimes it just confuses things. That was a bad night. So, yeah, having that going was just a, a moment of, yeah, we're not going to mess this up or we're not going to have this taken away from us by bad officiating. Thank goodness for that. And it's that palpable relief that meant us that we were able to sort of actually enjoy the rest of the game, which you don't always get. You know, we we don't often as we've said on previous weeks, we don't often win by a large margin. We don't score a huge amount compared to some of the teams around us, but we also concede less than the teams around us or fewer goals than the teams around us. So to actually have that, you know, three nil and four nil cushion, just got to chill, really. It was probably the lowest my heart rate's been at a game for, for a fair while.
1: Yeah, it was nice, wasn't it? And what was nice as well is we carried on that pressure, I think. You know, Northampton did get a bit more of the ball as the game went on. But as far as chances go, we carried on in this game. Paddy Lane had a corner taken from the right-hand side. which just swung into the box as well. I think I think it came off a of Northampton head in the end uh, and went out. But that was dangerous as well. And then we come on to the final goal. Marlon Pack, free kick. It's a long way out to put a really good ball in the box again. And... Obviously, he had that great pass earlier on. Pack doing absolute everything he can, really, to be really ruthless in this game, as Pompey were, and he bangs it in from the right-hand side. Conor Ogilvie does well to get up and cushion the header back between two defenders. He gets his head onto that ball, and that's an underrated finish there from Callan Lang because the ball's sort of dropping, and he manages to really controlled in his strike, rifle it into the back of the net, and yeah, it's 4-0
2: the number of those in my lifetime I've had where the ball sort of drops on the volley in front of you and you go to half volley it in and the number of times I've shinned it off my sort of halfway up my leg out for a throw-in just really makes you appreciate how good the finish was, the crisp finish. And yeah, keeper doesn't have a chance. I know it's near post, but it's a ruthless finish. Just puts his laces through it, doesn't he? And uh, yeah, I think I might be might be getting some, some emotional feelings towards a new signing. It's nice.
1: Andy, we, we're going to talk about later on about the defence and the issues of McIntyre and staff being out and the consequences for that. But when we're looking at it from just the attacking potency we've got, the, the signings in January have really given us another element, haven't they? And maybe we're not going to win or maybe we're not going to get promoted automatically or promoted at all by out-defending teams. It might just be that we can outscore teams teams and go down that level of, Creating enough chances that with some more potent finishes, some more chances created, you know, MPH creating chances, Lang finishing chances. We still have Bishop, you know, we've got Lane on fire at the moment, Kamara, for instance, who's, you know, came off the bench in this game. It might be a case, and we'll come to this a bit later, I suppose, but that we could actually look at being a, more of an attacking force and that overwhelming force is what's going to carry us over the line rather than maybe early in the season that defensive stability.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's essentially what Peterborough are trying to do, isn't it? It's just however many you score we will try and score more, which didn't work out too well. I mean, technically, they did score a lot more than Exeter last night. They just scored two of them in their own net. So technically, they did outscore them 3-0. But that's what Peterborough are trying to do, is to just score more than the other side every single game. It's kind of like the England cricket approach at the moment. Like, yeah, you do whatever you want. We're just going to do it better or we're going to do more. And um, we're not scared of whatever you put on the board. We're going to get more runs. You know, you score four goals, we're going to score six, kind of thing. But I mean, yeah, it's uh, the injury crisis maybe changes this this dynamic a little bit. Normally, I'd say no, we shouldn't be aiming for that because what happened in the first part of the season was so successful with that unbeaten run. And you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, kind of vibe. But as you say, with some of the injuries we've got, I don't know. I'm thinking a bit more balanced than
1: Peterborough, though. I'm just saying yeah. maybe that's a factor that helps us get over the line. Not not the fact that... Not just that we're going to do a complete gun-ho approach, but maybe we can score an extra goal where we went before and that's what will carry us over the line, rather than looking at getting that 2-1, close, 1-0, you know, close teams out late sort of approach. But Yeah, but on, I, come- I
2: agree. Uh, I think... Sorry to interrupt you. I think we did see that in this game to a certain extent. Because when we go 3-0 up with 10 men... It would be very, you know, understandable to go into game management. You know, when teams go three up, they normally just see the game out and, you know, plus three goal difference for a game and three points and ideally no injuries is, you know, it's a very, very good Saturday afternoon out. Whereas we did keep pushing. And then after we scored the fourth one, obviously Northampton started putting on the pressure in the last few minutes and then the insane amount of injury time. But you know the game's in the bag at that point because you're four up. But we did keep pushing. We didn't sit on our laurels again at two 0 with a man being sent off. Would be really easy to just go into your shell, try and see the game out. And I think the immediacy with which we scored after going down to ten kind of stopped that being an option because you know they they didn't really have time to go into their shells because they suddenly caught Northampton on the break with that uh, that third goal with Lane's goal. So there wasn't the opportunity for us to sort of shrink back and put men behind the ball because we'd already scored again. So, yeah, I, I like the idea of it being a more attacking title. I think you have to say that we're probably stronger going forward now than we are at the back. You'd have to say just purely because of the injuries, we're probably slightly unbalanced and, and weighted towards our front lines. But, I, I mean, we're not in panics, but maybe we are at panic stations. We're not a complete you know mess at the back by any stretch. We have some very, very good defensive players. Ogilvy's been fantastic. Since he got back. All three games, he has been possibly my man of the match, other than Lane, obviously, stealing the plaudits a bit. Vale, Oxford, and this, Ogilvy's been excellent. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, you've still got Sparks as an option. Rafferty and and, uh, Swanson. I mean, Rafferty's approaching fitness. It's not like we're poor at the back by any stretch, but I agree that we probably are slightly more threatening going forward now.
0: I think it's just because of the extra depth options in the forward areas and it's definitely helped an awful lot and it's made Pompey less predictable I think, especially especially in the midfield. Lowry's come in in January and basically been a new signing in the, right in the centre of midfield and his work off the ball and taking midfielders away has also been able to create more space for people like put Harris or Lang coming in and at the back we haven't got a lot of depth anymore after the injuries he only got Rafty right back because Swanson's out until at least March and might not even be fit afterwards there's Sparks who has gone off his part of being an assist king from set pieces and has tailed off a bit but hasn't played badly by any stretch and then we're back to three centre-halves again so it's it's just the fact that Pompey have invested in the midfield and the attacking areas in January and it's reaping the rewards for them at the moment
2: just on a human level quickly, it's so good for Tommy Lowry. I'm so pleased for him, just even aside from being a Pompey player, the amount of injuries and setbacks he's had. I'm so pleased for him getting a run of games together and putting in good performances and, you know, going... The the Tommy Lowry song is just repeated for minutes and minutes on end. He's obviously popular with the fan base. And yeah, just on a human level, it's so nice to see. And I just hope it continues for a long time. Selfishly for Pompey. But also for him, because I think the amount of time he spent on the rehab table and doing, you know, S and C stuff to try and get his fitness and his strength back, he's deserved what he's getting now. And yeah, I hope that continues to the end of the season, injury free.
1: Let's get on with crediting Mark Lennon with that goal then, because he was the player that we said and Danny from All us to me also highlighted him as their main threat, I suppose, going forward, linking the play up and ball comes out from a corner. And what can you say? He absolutely smashes it off the other side of the bar, literally nearly in the corner where the post meets the crossbar. And yeah, it's a goal. It's, it's a fantastic finish. Fair play to the Northampton fans as well. They did not stream out the exits like some of the fans might do, potentially. They stayed there and they got their their reward, I suppose. It's a very small reward, but it, it's still a nice finish. And you've got credit Leonard there. At the end of the day, Pompey saw the game out 4 one. It's a good win we move on. And talking about moving on, is there anything else you want to talk about before I move us on to the next part? Oh yeah,
0: there's one little last bit about this and we haven't done this segment in ages. We have to do Guess the XG because we won a game and we haven't been overloaded with other things and Andy is very happy. He's very excited. He's not, is he? Well, there we are. But for Guess the XG this week, what is Cam Lang's Expected goals for his finish to cap off the Blues' 4-1 win at Fram Park.
1: It's not an easy finish, is it? But I'm going to try and have a think about it. So, ball up in the air. He's quite close to the goal, I suppose. He's got a bit of space. But the technique required and how difficult it is, is usually taken into consideration with... Y-scout expected goals. So I'm going to go with
2: 0.2. The number I had in my head was 0.21. And that just sounds like I'm overcutting you, but I've just been watching it back. It falls down over his shoulder. Uh, I think you're close. I think you know, yours is a really good guess. Uh, I'll go 0.21 just because it is, like you know I don't care about this game enough to cheat. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to go 0.21. That's the number that came into my head, but I think you might win it. I think we're both in the ballpark. And if we aren't, then I'm just going to sit here thinking, as usual, what a shocking metric it is.
1: Point 0.1. I mean, <sighs> some sort of suspe- there's some sort of suspicious going on here, Andy Mitchum. Or... Point 0.01. I was about to oh. say, if you undercut me by point 0.1, I would be... Absolutely fuming. It no, is, it's more than
2: that. I've uh, I've overcut you by point naught one, even less. Yes.
0: It is the closest guest the XG round we've ever had. Congratulations. But Hugh has absolutely smashed it out the park yeah. and got it exactly spot on with his 0.2. I thought really? we were close on that. Yes, I think we're getting are. better at it. Absolutely. So Hugh takes it. Um good work. With-
2: does, does he get a bonus point because we're getting it dead on? We can
0: do the bonus point. I think I want. think
2: there should be a bonus point for getting it spot on.
0: All right, I'll I'll add that to the list. I've got the score on a uh, uh, on a notepad doc here in front of me. So I
2: reserve the right to, to retract that, that statement if I lose the season by one point. <laughs>
0: no,
1: you don't. You've agreed to it now, Andy. That's a strong a strong a strong argument there from a man wearing a very strong hoodie. Thank you.
2: It's multicolored. It is. My mum told me I looked like a car from the eighties, and then she sent me a photo. It's all different colours. What uh, kind of car? I'm going to have to try and find it. Hang on. I do. After seeing it, I agreed with her.
1: All right. While Andy's putting the picture of the car that he looks like in the group chat, which I will have a look at in a second while I'm not hosting the podcast. (laughs) Let's move on to the next part. Multitask. I can't multitask. I'm not going to make any sweeping gender analysis, but I can't multitask. Let's move on to the next point here then. Let's move on. I want to talk to you about a question here, guys, because we're going to talk about the injury news now, which has shook Pompey Twitter, should we say, when we're looking at it, because, and I had it written down in front of me, let's go through this now. Three Pompey players are set to miss the rest of the 2023-24 campaign. Joe Morrell sustained a knee injury against Oxford. I know Joff was saying in the chat that it's bone rather than ligament, but no idea about that. Terry Devlin damaged his shoulder in the same fixture against Oxford still played on as well. Didn't he? He looked like he's in so much pain in that game and then carried on playing throughout the game for quite a long time. Didn't he? And then the third person, obviously we already spoke about it. Tom McAlady's red card has been overturned, but he has a fractured ankle. Obviously add that into Alex Robertson being out for the rest of the season and Regan Paul, obviously as well. That's five players in one season out for the season, as well as, some long-term injuries we've also had. you know, in for instance. Conor Ogilvie's been out for a while or so. I feel pretty sorry for ourselves and sorry for any players there who I've not mentioned in our long injury list. But what I want to know now, guys, really, is not really just focusing on those injuries, how it happened, etc. Because from my mind now, I'm looking at him and going, let's do it for the boys. It seems to be what the, the lads are saying at this moment in time as well. I know Marlon Pack came out on Insta and said, tough news to take for the group but it just gives us that extra motivation. Love that Marlon Pack, the man on an absolute mission at the moment to get Pompey promoted. But what I want to know first of all from you guys is, does this change the way we play? Especially the first question I've got is when we reshuffle the back line, does Sean Raggett just come straight back in Freddie Webb? Does he fit in at centre-back there? Do we keep Ogilvy at left-back? These are the questions. I mean, there's a bit of talk about, do you shift Connor Ogilvy over? Then you've got to bring Sparks back in, I suppose. So, what does this mean to the defence first, and then we'll move forward?
0: It means an awful lot for that back four. Uh, That's where most of the change is going to happen, because John Messina says he's always wanted four centre-halves in, brings in Tom McIntyre, that ball-playing centre-half, looks very good on the left-hand side with Shocknessy on the right, and that option is gone within 50 minutes. Yeah, and he's out for... 12 to 14 weeks as has Allen I think bringing in Sean Raggett is probably the main option because whenever Riley Ryder, Tal has had some good games but he's also not a ball playing centre half who can progress the ball like McIntyre can do so you may as well just go with the overall better defender and that is Raggett and him and Shothnessy have played a lot of games so there's an understanding there there's not going to be some time where the players are getting used to each other, and V has definitely earned that spot at left-back in the three games that he's played back in. He hasn't been a slouch. He hasn't ruined Pompey's attacking output at all compared to Sparks, which was the worry beforehand. So you go for the better player there as well. It just depends if if Sean Mragas' performances can keep going, let's say around the time of that Bolton at home game he was playing incredibly well and stringing some good passes together and allowed to carry the ball out slightly while also sticking to his strengths but then he's had other games i.e. in Orient at home where he looked all at sea but then the entire back four did yeah there's going to be chop and changing but there's not many options in that back four so it has to be for me Going forward, it'll probably just be Rafferty, Raggott, Schochnessy and Ogilvy. I think. I don't see much else, much change there. And Joe Massino came out in the news and said that he's not looking at the free agent market either. Nothing excites him. So that's pretty much where we are as a squad for the rest of the season.
1: And do you think we can still carry on playing free flowing attacking footballs? We've just been watching in this game, I suppose, with. Sean Raggett back in centre defence, there seems to be a very strong contingent either way, isn't there? Some people online think putting Raggett back in makes absolutely no difference to a certain level. They think he's being being classed for this run-in and maybe people are a little bit overreacting. Whilst, you know, I think it's fair to say that us three see the fact that his ball carrying and passing isn't great. But maybe it won't matter that much if he can be solid enough at the back and we still manage to progress the ball forward through players like Tom Lowry, et cetera, and get the ball forward to our you know, new, more potent attack.
2: Yeah, uh, we've got a roving South African correspondent who's actually going to contribute to this. Uh, do you believe that Sean Raggett should come into the side as a direct, direct replacement for Tom McIntyre? Sure. There we go. Yeah, it's happening. Back three or back four? The
1: second option.
2: The second option, back four. Okay, so Raggett's coming into the back four. That's our final answer. Um I I have very mixed emotions on this and mixed feelings to be honest with you, and I'm probably convincible either way. So Raggett has pleasantly surprised a lot of us, and I think you have to give credit where it's due since he came into the side. And I, I think he's performed above what we expected when he came in as that injury replacement. Having said that, there is still that mistake in that horror game I think in Leighton Orient I'm not laying any blame at his door because I think the system failed him rather than him failing the system if that makes sense I think the way we lined up was completely wrong for that match in terms of how uh, Dan Adji and Shaq Ford lined up but you want to keep your players who are performing best in the positions at which they're performing best and as I was saying a few minutes ago Ogilvy had been so good on that left side I'd be loath to move him because he's been one of the more solid players on the pitch defensively and obviously contributed with a goal at the weekend. So I'd, I don't think you can move him to left centre-back just because he's doing so well where he is. So I think in reality, I'm probably on the same page as Freddie where you're back four of Rafferty, Shogne- uh, Ragged Shocknessy and Ogilvy. If we had more fit centre-backs, I really wouldn't mind fit three at the back. But I just think Towler's not had enough minutes and he's a little bit match-cold. I think there's still the makings of a really good player in there, but the run-in trying to get promotion from League 1 into the Championship isn't the time to be trying to develop a centre-back in a back three and put minutes into his legs, I don't think, Um, because if you get caught out, you know, one or two points drop because of an individual mistake, it can be the difference between going up automatically and then us inevitably losing in the playoffs because it's what we do. So, yeah. I think four at the back. Basically, Tarrell's nailed it. Our our roaming African correspondent who's just watched her team get knocked out of AFCON on penalties and is uh, crying off camera at the moment even though she doesn't give a monkeys about football.
1: Yeah, I also think that's going to be the case. I don't think we change the system, especially after you win 4-1. I mean, are we going to try and change the whole way the team plays because of potentially one of your centre-backs coming out and another one coming in? So, I think they're going to roll with Raggett. Rolling with Raggett. Let's get that hashtag going. And yeah, from there, it's just going to play out as it plays out, isn't it? Joe Morrell being out injured is obviously a miss for us. He's so tenacious in the centre of midfield for us. Big player, one of our best players this season, I'd say. Probably shut up some of the haters from last year who got on his back. It's not, definitely not us, but I think it's been fair to say Joe's been one of the best players for this team. And is obviously a big personality in the squad as well. So that's going to be a massive miss. But at the same time, you bring in Owen Moxon. It looks important for the depth now. You're looking at who's on the pitch. Freddie already talked about the great work from Tom Lowry. And then you've got Stevenson as well, who can rotate in if needed. So in centre midfield, I'm not as worried, especially from a system basis. I think that we're going to look you know, pretty good in that sense still as well. And then obviously Terry Devlin being out as well. It's a, it's a miss because I think not just for his development, he's coming on a lot as well as a player, but having that utility player who can come in at right back, who can fill in the midfield, who also comes on to games with his sort of winning the ball high up the pitch. And yeah, he, he's a good player to help close games out. So without sitting deep. So yeah, it is going to be a miss as well. But I don't see this as a season ending or scuppling thing as long as... We can get the ball out of defence effectively with Sean Maragher playing there.
0: Yeah, I mean Terry Devlin is an underratedly big miss. Um, he's played some great games at right wing back. Very surprising given the fact that he's barely played there before. And it's a and it's a bit of tenacity and a bit of bite from the bench that Messina will be missing. Um, he's out for twelve weeks due to the shoulder ligament injury and also had to have surgery on it. And then the general injury, it's very rough, but at least we have players of a similar mould that can replace him with Lowry and Moxon. Yeah, a piece of cartilage broke off his it broke off his knees. That was quite horrible. And he's had to also he also underwent surgery on today. So fingers crossed the recovery goes okay. But going forward, yeah, in the attacking areas, I think the squad depth is there. I think that's what January was for. And the club were supported financially, thankfully, fingers crossed. I don't think it's season-ending either, I don't think. But there's no more wiggle room now, even if a player's out for two weeks, especially at the back four, because we've got one right-back and three centre-halves, arguably four with Ogilvy, and two left-backs. If there's an injury there, if Rafferty goes down, who's playing right-back? You're going to have to put Ogilvy at right-back, probably. He's probably the only option you have so it's going to be very tough but and I was very upset when those when the, those injuries came in but I don't think it's a cause to throw the season away and Massinio said it as well he came out in his press conference and says it wasn't anything that the medical team were doing yeah, they they were it wasn't all muscle injuries so there's no like trend between all the injuries it's just impact tackles and he said that he's asking the players to run to put the challenges in to be fully committed and you could tell them not to do that, save on injuries. But it's that's led to where Pompey are now, and I have a lot of faith that this group can keep going as is. Yes, the bringing ball out of the front defence is a concern for me in the back four. You just got to hope that that, that little weakness doesn't impact the squad in the big games. I think because I don't think it will matter if Pompey are playing against size low down the table, but against. Um, promotion hunters around us, I think that could be a difference somewhere.
1: Yeah. Indeed. Andy, anything else to say on the injury news before we move on to do the Carlisle preview?
2: Nah. I just I did I dream it that they gave one of those goals to Stevenson on the big screen. I think I don't think I dreamt that. And we were just thinking that's the easiest goal he's ever going to score, not even in the match day squad must have been sat on the bench or, you know, watching the game, look up at the screen, see you've scored. Someone pressed the wrong button. That's my uh, in-depth tactical analysis of the injury system, that um, someone pressed the wrong button on the big screen. Um, no, my only actual concern, just very, very quickly, with uh, those, well, not my only, one of my concerns uh, is with the morale injury. That, as you said, Hugh, the word's tenacious. And when you leave him back, when we have attacking corners... And he's sort of the last man. When our centre-backs have gone up, you know that there's a street-smart going to take that yellow, quite physical player. And for all the qualities in the world, for Tom Lowry, like him and Morel aren't the same player. He's got qualities that Morel doesn't and vice versa. And I don't feel quite as confident with Lowry being left-back, as in left-back on the pitch, not playing in the left-back position, for attacking corners. I think if we get caught on the break, we're more susceptible with Lowry there rather than Morel, but you know, hopefully that won't cost us any goals. And I, I certainly hope to be proved wrong. It's probably a minor thing, but it's just the one thing that jumps into my mind.
1: Interested to see if Moxon is on the pitch if he feels that role in because he is that yeah. tenacious tackling sort of box to box midfielder, yeah. which is much more on the Joe Morel sort of profile. I no, suppose, he's arrived.
2: I'd hope so. Yeah,
1: with a bit more of an attacking edge to him as well. So, well, supposed to be a lot more of an attacking edge. So. In that sense, maybe Moxon can fill in that position where needed, if Mm. on the pitch, obviously. All right, let's move on. Carlisle, boys, away from home. Talking about Owen Moxon, let's get into the Carlisle game. So, we spoke to Lee before on the podcast last week already. We did quite a deep dive already on Carlisle, so we didn't want to go over it and repeat ourselves, I suppose, and what we already talked about. Go back and listen to that preview. It's about 15 minutes long going into the squad depth. What's going on at Carlisle, you know, just generally. But we're going to do a quick roundup now anyway, just to get you and the guys in the mood for the game on Saturday. They're not a very good team at this moment in time. It's fair to say. They've lost five games in the league in a row now. They went away to Leighton Orient. To be fair, they only lost 3-2. That's not a bad result against a very informed Leighton Orient side with playing a lot of nice football under Richie Wellens. It just goes to show that when we sort of review the game against Leighton Orient, you know, you've got to allow us that actually they're a very good team at this moment in time who are putting a lot of teams to the sword. But we're not here to talk about Leighton Orient. We're here to talk about Carlisle. They are an interesting team, I suppose. But at the same time, we need to be putting these guys to the sword. They play a 5-3-2 at the back there. Still looking at them playing. They've got Jack Diamond playing for them. I didn't even know that.
2: Yeah, um, he, had, he was acquitted from something recently, legally, wasn't he? Um, found to be not guilty and he's gone back to Carlisle. Fair enough. If you're,
1: you know, if that's what they say, then fair enough to them. You look at the team generally, they've got James Gibson's all right. Josh Feller in midfield, again, I thought he might get picked up, but I think Carlisle fans haven't really been that that fond of him anyway. Harry Lewis in goal, it's pretty decent, but looking at this team really, there's not a lot that stands out to me, more than what we said already with Lee on the podcast last week, so this has got to be a game that we look to get three points. It's never easy travelling a long way in order to, to get those points, but Andy?
2: Yeah, more expert in-depth analysis coming from me here. Josh Vella was really good for me on Football Manager 18, I think it was, signed him for my Pompey team and he, he was a very, very good player. So obviously is going to be the main Carlisle threat in real life six years later. I think we can conclusively say that as a statement of fact. And yeah, you're saying their their recent results. I mean, lost five in a row, lost six out of seven. The one win they got in that time was two one at Port Vale. Sorry, against Port Vale at home, which is a, you know, we saw how poor Port Vale were the other week. We should have beaten them by more than we did um at Port Vale, and obviously. They've now parted company with their manager as a result of it all. So, yeah, they got turned over comfortably by Bolton. As you say, 3-2 at Leighton Orient is a pretty respectable result. But, I mean, I don't want to throw stones here because they've drilled with Fleetwood and we dropped points to Fleetwood. They've lost to Cheltenham and we've managed to lose to Cheltenham. So, I can't throw too many stones. They've lost by three clear goals to Blackpool. We lost by four clear goals to Blackpool. And they drew one all with Charlton and we drew two all with Charlton. So, you know, there are some similarities there. It's not going to be a walkover, but you look at the form guide and their position in the league. I mean, they've conceded 50 goals. It's joined most in the division. They've scored less than one goal a game. They've conceded just under two goals a game. They're not very good. I mean, we're slagging off Vale and saying they're probably going down. We're slagging off Fleetwood and saying they're going down. And Carlisle have got... 10 and 5 points less than them, respectively. So they're not a good side. I don't think they signed anyone after Moxon left, which is one of the things we asked Lee last week if they were likely to do. I don't think they brought anyone in as a replacement. They did what he preferred they would do and kept the money to rebuild the squad over summer, whether they go down or not. Um, if they go down to League 2, they're going to have however many. You know, it's in six figures, which is a lot of money in League 2 to to use on, on players to put them at the top of that league. The fan base seems pretty calm about it, hoping they'll stay up, but not going, you know, not going overboard. Yeah, it's, it, it's got to be three points, to be honest with you. You look at their results against teams around us in the table and they've been beaten by them comfortably. So, yeah, Bolton turned them over really quite comfortably. I mean, Reading beating 5-1. Eek. they just got to win. Symbols.
1: Can having say, said that,
2: mate, sorry, having said that, at the start of the season, they turned over Bolton at Bolton 3-1, so but that's a long time ago now.
1: Their form's really dropped off since then, Yeah, not yeah, yeah, they've really dropped off. They have quite a small squad as well, so I'm guessing it's tiring as the season's gone on a bit. That's um, just me looking at it. But as you, as we saw the other day, you know, Peterborough didn't win, they lost, Bolton drew, Barnes oh, with Barnsley, obviously, Stevenage have lost, to have drawn, Blackpool have lost, so... And then you look at the teams obviously the beat them you know reading of one exeter of one so league one is such a tight league isn't it where anything can happen at any day but if you want to go on and you want to get promoted automatically you've got to take advantage of these other teams slipping up yeah. and if we can do that and we can get three points and we can keep the pressure on the likes of bolton who's running now is pretty crazy i think it's a game every four and a bit days or something like that. We just need to keep winning, keep putting points up and hopefully they'll slip with a few results themselves.
2: I think Bolton have got one midweek off until the end of the season. That's it. They're playing every Saturday, Tuesday until the end of the season. They've, If they pick up injuries, they are going to struggle. But having said that, if they get momentum, it could work to their advantage. It's going to go one or two ways, isn't it? I think with Carlisle, the game this weekend isn't going to make or break their season. It's kind of similar to what Northampton was saying last week. Like That Pompey game is not going to be the defining moment in their season. I mean, they're going to be around mid-table, they're probably not going to hit playoffs now and they're definitely not going down. Whereas after playing us, Carlisle have got Burton, Cambridge, then the gas and Reading, then Charlton, and then one game against Barnsley, then they got Shrewsbury. Those are the games that are going to decide their season because if they're picking up points on the teams around them, then obviously, you know, those teams aren't picking up points at the same time. So their result against us isn't going to decide if they uh, they, uh, go down or not. So hopefully they see it as a free hit and turn up and don't perform because it's the Burton game the week following that's also the Tuesday following that is actually probably more important to them, I would suggest, as a fan base. If you offered them a win in one of those two games, they'd probably take the Burton game because it stops Burton getting points. So, yeah.
1: Fred, you have anything to add or I'm going to wrap this podcast up and
0: ask your score prediction, please? Yeah, even with the travel, I think Pompey should be favourites of the game against Carlisle Carlisle have got some players in there that on their own they look okay but they don't appear to have stepped up to League 1 as well as I thought they would especially Alfie McCalman he was very good in their League 2 season but in this season he's only got one goal as an example yeah rough but I think Pompey should be fine just a solid away performance needed like against Port Vale
1: all right, let's finish it off then. Andy Mitchmore, want your score prediction, please, for the game on Saturday. Any goal scorers?
2: 2-0. Bishop first off. Yengi sub second off. Bish Bash Bosh. You?
1: I'm going to go 3-0. Why not? Let's get, Let's try and wipe away any of these worries. Let's go 3-0. I'm going to go with goals from Callum Lang, MPH to get on the score sheet, and another goal from the man who had the most shots in the last game, Connor Ogilvie. Freddie Webb?
0: I'm gonna go with a very solid one nil ports of away win and I'm gonna go with Miles Put Harris to get his date his first goal with Blues.
1: Just we wrap the podcast up. Thank you to Carl Collins for a very generous donation on buymeacoffee.com. We appreciate it, Carl. Andy thanks for on the podcast.
2: Cheers
0: Freddie Webb. Always a pleasure, thank you very much and uh, yeah, it's a shame uh, well, we won't be at Carlisle, well I won't be anyway but yeah, fingers crossed for three points on Saturday
1: And until next time play out Pompey You have been listening to the po Forecast for Pompey News Now available on Soundcloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts Follow po Forecast cast and Pompey News Now on
0: Twitter for more information And there is the full-time whistle!